0: Well, good morning, church family. I appreciate you being here today. We're starting, as you can see, a brand new series, just a short series, two-week series today that we're looking at this intriguing question. We're going to put it on, on the screen. Here's the question. What is the one thing God wants me to do more than any other thing? That's an important question. What is the one thing God wants me to do more than any other thing? Now, the reason that's an important question is because, everybody look up here, there's a lot of stuff packed into this Bible, isn't there? There's all kinds of things packed in this Bible. Maybe you feel like, I can never do all of that. There's just no way I can ever do all of that. And some of you would say, I-, I don't even understand all of this. How am I supposed to do it? And some of you might even say, I haven't even read all of that. I don't know how I'm supposed to do all of that. Let's be honest. Even if God says, okay, there's ten things I want you to do, right? We're not going to be able to do all ten things consistently, are we? By the way, you know he did say that, right? Exodus 20 says there's ten things I want you to focus on. But the problem is we can't even do those things consistently. We, we can't, I mean, the idea of keeping the Ten Commandments seems doable, until you try it, then you recognize that maybe you can't do those either. We're, we're a lot like Bill and Lucy who only went to church once a year, and they were leaving church, their annual time to the church. They were leaving that day, and the pastor said, Bill, sure would be nice to see you and Lucy here more than once a year. He said, I know, pastor, I understand that, but at least we're keeping the Ten Commandments. And the pastor a little surprised. He said, oh, really? He said, well, Bill, that's great. I'm glad to hear you keep the Ten Commandments. He said, yep. Bill said it kind of proudly. He said, yep, Lucy keeps six of them, I keep the other four. (laughs) That's about as best as we can do, isn't it? You keep some, I'll keep some. Maybe together we can all accomplish the ten. Maybe together we can all do them. But what if we could just focus on one thing? Does that sound interesting to anybody? So here's the big question. What is the one thing God wants me to do more than any other thing? Now, we're very indebted to a man who came to Jesus with that very question. And it's interesting, the man who came to Jesus with this very question was not a believer. He was not a Christian. He was not a Christ follower. The man who asked this intriguing question was a very religious man, though. And he came to Jesus one day wanting to ask a very religious question question and to him a very important question. And we're not exactly sure his motivation. Oh, you can study it, you can read all about it, but we're not exactly sure about his motivation. Some think that he came to Jesus trying to trip him up, trying to trap him in his own words. And there's a case to be made for that. Others say, no, he came to Jesus genuinely curious. I kind of lean in that direction. That he came to Jesus genuinely curious, wanting to know, what's that one thing that God wants me to do more than any other thing? His story is told in two places in the New Testament. It's told in Matthew chapter 22, and it's also told in Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at Mark's version, Mark chapter 12. We're going to open God's Word to to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses just to kind of give you the context of what is going on in this story. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, it says, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So here's... The Pharisees and the Herodians are coming to Jesus, and this is the context of the, of the big story. They're coming to Jesus, and they're asking a question, and the intent of the question is to trap him in his words, to try to find out what he will say and somehow use it against him. Now, Jesus deals with this whole issue of paying taxes, and after, after he deals with paying taxes to Caesar in verse 18, another group of people come to Jesus with another question, verse 18. Then the Sadducees. Who say that there is no resurrection. That is, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrected body. So they came to him with a question. And their question was about marriage at the resurrection. Who's this person going to be married to? And, and again, the intent of the question was to trap him in his own words to find something that they could be used against that that could be used against him. So Pharisees come to ask him a question, Sadducees come to ask him a question. And in that context, then we, we go down to verse 28. <clears throat> One of the teachers of the law, now a teacher of the law was a Pharisee, but he was someone who devoted himself to, to copying by hand the, the law of God, studying the law of God. He was the authority on the law of God. All right, So that's who comes to him now. He has witnessed all of this. He's witnessed the Pharisees and the Herodians. He's witnessed the Sadducees and Jesus' interaction with all of these groups. And now one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Heard Jesus debating with the Sadducees. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him. Now, before we look at what he asked him, I I love the phrase, Jesus had given him a good answer. He noticed, this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, noticed that Jesus had given a good answer. Now, that's Mark's account. In Matthew's version, Matthew says, he noticed that Jesus silenced the Sadducee. He just shut him down. He just... The Sadducee was trying to debate him, and Jesus just just shut him down. And Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like each other very much, and so it probably tickled him to see the Sadducee getting shut down. And when he sees this and he hears the wisdom of Jesus, he thinks, I can ask my question. You know, that question I've been trying to figure out for years. I've studied the law for many, many years, and I bet he can answer my question. And so here it is. When the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? What a great question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now when you read that, you may think he was asking, which of the ten is most important? That's not what he was asking. He was not saying, okay, we've got numbers 1 through 10. Tell, tell me, you know, how would you rank him in order of priority? Which one is the most important? That's not what he's saying. Look at this room we put it on the screen. You see, from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, a pretty long time, And from the time of Moses, when he gave the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, watch this, until the time of Jesus in the New Testament days, that is, from the time of the Old Testament to the time of the New Testament, the rabbis had taken the Ten Commandments and had added to them, trying to interpret the Ten Commandments, and by the time we got to Jesus' day, those Ten Commandments had blossomed into 613 Commandments. 248 were positive, these are things you ought to do, 365 were negative, these are things you should not do, had a negative commandment for every day of the week. Don't do that. Every day of the week, you know, they had this commandment, don't do that, don't do that. One for every day of the week, don't do that. Just don't do it, All right. So, when he came to Jesus, he wasn't saying, which is the most important of the Ten Commandments? Look what he says, notice how he asked the question. Of all the commandments, all meaning 613 of them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which one should be my greatest priority? See, this guy is practical. He understands, listen, I probably, look up here, I probably can't do all of them. Probably don't even know all of them. And so should I focus on the positive ones or should I focus on the negative ones? And beyond that, if you could narrow it a little bit more, should, what, should I focus on the heavy ones or on the light ones? You see, they even ranked them in that way as well. They divided them up to, these are the heavy commandments. These are the really, really important ones. These are the lighter commandments. A little, not quite as important. And so he's he studied this perhaps for years and years and years and wondering, which one is the most important? And so he asked this very of all the Bible commands us to do, what should be our greatest priority? Or to say it this way, what's the one thing God wants me to do more than any other thing? I can't do 613. So I want to ask you, what's the one thing God would want me to do? So Jesus gives him a very clear and concise answer. He, he, I love the answer that he gives. Here's what he says in verse 29. The most important one. Answer Jesus, it's this. And then he quotes what's called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, it quotes the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, the word Shema comes from the Hebrew word which means to hear. Uh, the Shema begins with the word, hear, O Israel. And the, the, the Hebrew word hear is the word Shema. And so this is what Jesus quotes. It was not new information he was giving. He was explaining to him something that he already knew, perhaps, or or without a doubt he knew. He says, "This the the most important one, Jesus answered, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Now, this was a statement of faith that was memorized and recited daily. By every Orthodox Jew. This man who asked the question, no doubt, recited this verse every day. Every morning, that's the way he began his day. Every evening, that's the way he ended his day. And did you know that even today, pious Jews still recite these words every morning and every evening. They still recite the, the Shema. And did you know that every Orthodox Jew, even to this day, they still wear what's called phylacteries, which are little leather boxes, and they tie them on their head. And inside the little leather box is this word, this verse, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. They want to remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. That's in that little phylactery that they wear to their time of prayer. Did you know that also they have little boxes beside their doorways? Even today, if you go to Israel with me, I can show them to you. It's called a mezuzah. And the mezuzah is a little cylinder that's attached to the door. And inside that cylinder is the Shema, is Deuteronomy 6.4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because it's not only attached to the front door, but it's attached to every door in the house. So that when you're walking through the house, whenever you go through a door, you're reminded that the one thing God wants from you more than any other thing is that you love Him. And when you leave for the day and when you come home at night, you see the mezuzah, you see the shema, you see the scripture, the reminder. This is the command that God has for everyone. The greatest command is this, love God with all that you are and with all that you have. But that brings up a very curious question. Can you command somebody to love you? I mean, sometimes it would be nice if you could, right? Wouldn't it be nice if you could command that spouse who said, I don't love you anymore? Wouldn't it be nice if you could command them to love you again? Or if you've got that wayward teenager and and they seem to hate your guts, wouldn't it be nice if you could command them to love you again? Or, hey guys, or, or gals, but if you're not married, wouldn't it be nice if that girl or that guy that you don't know but you'd like to know, wouldn't it be nice if you could command them to love you? But it doesn't work that way, does it? You don't command love. Love is a response. It's a wonderful thing that you experience. It's a response. Now, I want to help you with this. So, it's been a while since I've said anything about the world's greatest grandbaby. I I thought it was time. Actually, the world's greatest grandbaby is five months old today. And so, thank you for asking for pictures. I've got one right here. We'll show you. Go ahead. (laughs) This is Lily. And she's just the cutest thing you've ever seen. Five months ago today, I met Lily for the first time. And here's how it happened. I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget it. Lisa, well, they they took Kelly back out of her room uh, for C-section, and Lisa and Morgan's mom and dad were standing in the room, and they were just chit-chatting, talking, walked past the time. I went went outside. I'm in the hallway because I want to see when Lily comes out. They're in there talking, but my eyes are focused on those doors where I saw Kelly go in because I know eventually they're going to open those doors. They're going to have my granddaughter. And so I'm watching the door, I'm watching the door, I'm watching the door. All of a sudden the door opens and this nurse comes out like this. And she has this, this bundle. I can't really see her yet, but she gets closer. And then when I see her, my first words were, is that Lily? Of course, that's when everybody starts running out the door then, you know. They... And I saw her. And I instantly loved her. Instantly. I'll tell you something, there was not a doctor in that place that said, now let me command you to love this child with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. (laughs) There, There was not a nurse that said, before you leave, we need to make sure that you're commanded to love this child with all your heart, soul, strength. No, from the moment I laid eyes on her, I loved her. Now, if you were to say to me, Keith, you shall love Lily with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength, my response to you would be, of course! I do! I will! I'm happy to! In fact, I told Lisa not, sometime back, I said, you know, I feel like I love her too much. It just almost hurts I love her so much. But the question is this, why do I love her like that? It's not because we've had wonderful conversations. Now, not not tell you, she, she's tried a lot, and if she ever figures it out, we'll never shut her up, but we haven't had wonderful conversations. That's not the reason I love her. It's not because she's so giving. In fact, she's pretty demanding when she's hungry. And I don't even love her because she loves me back. In fact, I don't even think she knows who I am yet. We only get to see her every four to six weeks, and she can't even say my name yet. And we're going to be working on that, I promise you. <laughs> Papa, Papa, we going to work on that. You know why I love her? Listen, this is real important. I love her because of my relationship with her. I love her because she is the daughter of my daughter. You see, you have wonderful, amazing, pretty grandbabies too, but I don't love them. I mean, not like you do, you know. you, you, you got wonderful kids too, but I don't love them. You see, the reason that I love Lily with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength is because of my relationship with Lily. My relationship with her is what causes me to love her. And when you look at verse 29 and 30, it's so easy to get caught up on the wrong words. For years, I've studied this and for years I have studied and focused and studied and focused and I've studied and focused on the wrong words. I'll tell you the words that I normally focus on, it's the word all. It's used four times in verse 30. All your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and those are important words. All of those are important words. And I've studied those words. What does it mean all? You know what it means? It means all. I mean, it really does. It just means all. And and then I've studied, what does it mean with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? And I've dug into the original language and I've studied it. What, What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? And then it occurred to me that perhaps I was missing what might be the most important word, and it's repeated in verse 30 as well. It's in fact, you'll find it four times in verse 30. See if you can find it. It's not the word all. Can you find another word in verse 30 that's repeated four times? Your. Look at the text. Look at the text. Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, now listen. Let me take out a word and see if this makes sense. Read it very carefully. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord God. That would make sense, wouldn't it? That'd fit. That'd be very proper. Nothing wrong with that. Telling us that we need to love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. All of that works. We understand that. But God intentionally put another word in there. He put the word, love the Lord your One day it occurred to me, this word is foundational to all the other words. This word, your, is foundational to all the other words because he's not just God. Watch this, he's your God. And it's your relationship with him that causes you to love him. You don't love him simply because he's God, though he would deserve that. You love him because of your relationship with him. He is your God. You have a relationship with him. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God wants to have a love relationship with you. Henry Blackaby has written a book 25 years ago called Experiencing God. And by the way, we're going to be teaching that book on Wednesday night, starting September the 6th. It's a tremendous workbook, a tremendous study, 12-week study about how you can experience God. That starts on Wednesday night, September the 6th. I'll be teaching that, I hope you'll be here. But one of the units in that book, deals with this very thing. And here's what Henry Blackaby says. He says, God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. God pursues a love relationship with you. Everything in your Christian life depends on that love relationship. Everything about knowing Him and knowing His will depends upon the quality of your love relationship with Him. If that's not right, nothing in your life will ever be right. do, Do you ever wonder why you just can't seem to get it together spiritually? You ever wonder why it feels like you're taking one step forward and two steps backwards? Maybe it's because you you failed to make the one thing the priority of your life that God wants to make priority. Maybe it's because you're trying to focus on the other things and you failed to do the one thing. You see, a love relationship with God is more important than any other thing you might do for Him or with Him. It's more important than any other single factor in your life. That's why when the man approached Jesus and asked Him, when He said, What is the one thing God wants me to do more than any other thing? Jesus said, Here it is. Love your God. With all that you are. Now imagine for a moment if you and I Lived like that. What would your life be? How would your life be different if loving God became the grid through which you evaluated your thoughts, decisions, and actions this week? Just for the next seven days, if you thought, you know, I'm just going to use this as the grid through which I will evaluate all of my all of my thoughts, all of my actions, all of my decisions. Just going to just going to use this as a grid. Can I do this and love God? Will Will I be? demonstrating my love for God if I participate, if I go there, if I, if I use this, am I demonstrating a love for God? Does this, does this deepen my love for God? Does this, so, so you use that as, as a decision-making grid. I like what Augustine said. He said, just love God and do whatever you want. Makes sense, doesn't it? If that's your number one priority, love God. And then do whatever you like. Now imagine if it wasn't just you living that way this week. But imagine if it was you and me and all of us. Imagine how life would change if the greatest single thing that we're trying to focus on this week was simply this. Love the Lord your God. This is the one thing that will impact your life more than any other thing. I love the story of Peter. I bet you do too. Peter is just so much like us. So much like me. And, and, and Peter, if you'll remember, served the Lord faithfully. Did a lot of things. He, he, I mean, he was, he was a, a busy guy. And then you know his story of how he, how he faltered and how he fell. You know the story of how Peter denied the Lord Jesus. And after the resurrection, Jesus came and confronted him at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus met with him. Now... <clears throat> Jesus came and asked him a question. You remember the question? It was, was it something like this? Peter, you been reading your Bible? You know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. That's not what he asked him. He didn't say, Peter, have you been praying? How's your prayer life, Peter? He didn't ask him that. He didn't say, Peter, have you been in church? You need to get back in church. He didn't ask him that. And what did he ask him? Peter? Do you love me? you love me? Because that's the one thing I want more than anything. Peter? Could it be that Jesus might be asking you that question too? Do you love me? See, our tendency, our tendency is, is to focus on the, lo- the list of things that we're trying to do for God. In fact, look on the screen right here. Let me show you, put it on the screen. This diagram, if you will, that I've kind of developed. Here's the goal, love God. And then out of that love for God, we're supposed to, you know, we've got these other things commandments if you will and other duties and those kind of things and so you could put whatever you want to on those one through seven or you can make the list 20 or 50 or 100 or whatever but but the whole concept is this we love God and out of that love relationship for him we do things with him for him obey him serve him all of those kind of things you know when our lives get in trouble our lives get in trouble when we skip the love God part and we just focus on the list and when you just focus on the list, when you just focus on the duties, when you just focus on the you ought to, or you better not, or you, you need to, when you just focus on those things, that can get tiresome. That that can become a burden. That that can drag you down. And the problem is not that you're doing the wrong things. The problem is you don't have the right motivation. You see, if you truly, if if you just... Love God. If you do that one thing, then you'll do the other things, not because you have to, but because you want to. It'll come out of a love relationship with God, and these things become a blessing. It's a blessing to serve Him. It's a blessing to give. It's a blessing to read His Word and communicate with Him in prayer. It's a blessing. It's something I want to do because I love Him. You see, you don't have to convince me to go see Lily. You don't have to say, You know, you probably ought to get down there and see your granddaughter. No, no. I'm wanting to go down there anytime I can. You know why? Because of that love relationship that I have with her. I don't, you don't have to shake your finger and say, you know, if you, were a, if you were a good grandpa, you'd be down there. If you're a good grandpa, you'd go see her more often. You don't have to mandate anything to me because I want to do it because I love her so much. And the whole concept of love God first is simply this. When you love God first, everything else falls in place. But if you don't love God first, nothing is right in your life. Now, I'll tell you how seriously God takes this. In the book of Revelation, Jesus writes a letter to seven, he writes letters to seven churches. And the very first church that he writes is the church in Ephesus. It was a literal church. He wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. You probably already know where this is going, but turn there anyway. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, and he says to this church, I know your what church, what's that next word? I know your deeds. I, look up here for a minute. I know all of the things that are on that list. And then he tells us the things that are on that list. Your hard work. Your perseverance. and know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You've found them false. You've persevered. You're, you've endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary. I mean, there's a lot of good things on the list for that church. Then he says, Yet... I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forgotten the one thing that is most important. The one thing I want out of you more than any other thing, Jesus says, and you have neglected it. Then he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. That is, remember where you used to be, but you're not there anymore. Remember the height from which you have fallen. And then what's the next word? Repent. And that word does not mean, oh, I'm going to try to do better. The word is not, I'm going to try to hit this list a little harder next time. The word is repent. Turn away from that kind of lifestyle and love God first. mean, What would happen? What would happen in your life if you just decided, you know, just for the next seven days, I'm going to love God the way God loves me. I'm just going to love God back. I'm going to try over the next seven days just to love God back. I'm going to make the one thing that's most important to God. I want to make it most important to me. Maybe Jesus is asking you that question: Do you love? Me? Not asking, are you busy? Do you love me? I want you to bow your heads. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. In this time of invitation, it is your opportunity to just to decide, just to check your own heart. Do I love God? Is that my first priority? Am I living like I love God? my lifestyle reflect that? Do my choices reflect that I love God? Just day in and day out, Is it evident that I love God? Man, that that, that guy came to Jesus with such an important question. What's the one thing God wants from me more than anything else? Jesus said, just love God, the Lord your God. All your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. Today, if you need to repent, this altar is open. If you need to come back to the Lord and say, you know what, God, I, I, I've been busy and I, I've tried to do the right things, but there's no love there. I'm doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I ought to. I'm doing it out of obligation. I'm doing it so I won't look bad. But God, I, I just want you to help me, Lord, over the next seven days, just to love you and to live out of that love relationship. If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, today, I want you to know something. He wants to have a loving relationship with you. See, religion is all the things I try to do for God. Salvation is when I have a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So, Father, may your will be done. May you be honored and glorified. May lives be changed as we try to wrestle with that one thing. Call us to do. And may we love you most. Love you first. Love you back. I pray that in Christ's name.